Welcome to episode 6 of For the Record, a series where I talk to musicians from Aotearoa, New Zealand, about their music, what goes into making it, and an album from our library collection that's inspired them. This month, I spoke to Daniel McBride from Sheep, Dog and Wolf about his latest album, Two Minds. Kia ora, Daniel. Thanks so much for joining me today. Kia ora, thank you for having me. We're here to talk about your album, Two Minds, which came out in April this year. I just wanted to say I, r- I really love the album. I'd say it's probably one of my mm-hmm. albums of the year. Um, oh, wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's that time. It's December, I can say I can say that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, yeah, true. But what I, what I love most about it are the, the lush layers of sound, all the vocal harmonies and the range of instruments, and hearing the story behind it from other interviews just kind of deepened my appreciation. Especially the there was a Jess Fu interview with a track by track, which was very interesting. Oh, the long player. That was a lovely interview to do. Yeah, Jess, Jess is a great interviewer. She's awesome. Yeah, very, very insightful. And um, yeah, and the, you've probably heard this before. I wasn't sure if I put this in, but I'm like, hey, you know, there are songs <laughs> on this album that still that still make me cry. And I think that's because oh. there's, there's a kind of music that always moves you in a really deep, cathartic way. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's very it's very healing. I'm out there to make people cry. I think <laughs> trying try, trying to get some tears. <laughs> I mean, I love the music that makes me just ball. So this is if, if it's making people cry, then it's I'm stoked with yeah. it. <laughs> I feel like it is. I feel like it is. Even just reading a few comments on the YouTube videos, the fans the fans mm. are saying how much it means to them. I'm like, wow, wow, that's not surprising. No, it's very it's very healing, freeing <laughs> kind of quality for the, for this kind of music. Um, and I think it's amazing you played all the instruments on the album. You wrote and produced yes. and played everything. I heard that you learnt the piano and the French horn just so you could play those parts on the album. <laughs> how, how long did this all take? Uh, well, I would, I, first of all, I would hesitate to say I learnt the French horn. I learnt how to play some parts of the French horn probably quite badly, um, but, I, you know, enough for it to record and sound good when drenched in reverb. But um, the album itself took around about... I think around about three years from starting writing until finishing all of the recording. Um, and yeah, I, I really, when I started off, I barely, I didn't play piano very much at all. And I was finding that I was starting to come to the end of what I felt I was writing innovatively on guitar parts. Cause I just had, had found so many habits that I was just falling into on guitar. And so I wanted to try and, um, do a lot more writing with a different instrument to, to you know, it's a, it's a nice, cheap, easy way to completely reset your songwriting habits is try a new instrument. So, yeah, I decided I wanted to learn a lot more piano with it. Um, and I, I found that really rewarding. I love the piano. It's, I think you can get so much um, amazing, like rhythmic stuff going on with the piano because of the, the division of the two hands, both hands being responsible for separate rhythms. You can get some really interesting polyrhythmic stuff going on that I just love but yeah the album took about three years and then of course it was um so it was actually done in I think 2017 and then there were just it was four years before we actually released before I actually released it because there was just a whole lot of stuff in between that kind of stopped me from actually releasing but yeah three minutes three years to finish four years to then release (laughs) but you'd always planned to release it it just got held up for the for whatever reasons yeah, I, I was originally planning to release it um, like very soon after I'd finished it, only a few months afterwards. And I, I decided that I really wanted to try and shop it around to some, so there were, there were a number of delays, I'll, I'll go through them, wanted to shop it around to some international labels. Um, and I managed to get the contact information of the head of a big international label that I, just, I was really excited about, it had some of my favorite artists on it. 
And I, um, I contacted the guy and to my extreme surprise, he got back to me and was really into the album. And um, we were kind of talking back and forth for about six months. And I sort of put a lot of my other release stuff on hold because of this, because I was like, you know, I definitely want to release with this guy if, if he wants to. Um, and then after about six months of back and forth with this guy, he asked for my number so that he could call me and like, you know, talk through contract stuff. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is really happening. And then he just never called and he never replied to another email. Um, <laughs> so I don't really know what happened there, but um, just got completely ghosted by him. So that kind of put things, that, that put about a year um, between the finishing the album and starting to think about releasing it with another label again. So, um, and then after that, just when I was starting to kind of get back into release stuff properly after, after that ghosting, uh, unfortunately, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, and I, I moved back up to Auckland quite suddenly to kind of live, live with my parents and help look after him. And he's, he's actually still, he was given three months to live at the time and he's actually still going. So that's quite incredible. It's four years later, he's still terminal. But um, yeah, so that kind of put things on hold for a, a bit longer. Um, and then after a while of that and that kind of sort of stabilizing, I decided that I was ready to start thinking about release stuff again. And at that point, I got assaulted in the street. So I got, I got king hit by a guy when I was walking home one night and it perforated my eardrum and gave me a really a, quite a severe concussion. And so I couldn't really deal with noise or much of anything for a while. And so that put me out for a long time again. Um, and then by this time, I was talking with an international, a small international label called Aphrodite, um, who I ended up releasing with the really lovely guys. And so, you know, we were starting to ramp up towards release at the end of uh, 2019. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and suddenly it what didn't make much sense to, to release then either, because everything had gone crazy and the music industry had no idea what was going on. So, um, yeah, so it, there, there were several obstacles thrown up in the way. It was never a lack of intention to release that resulted in it not getting released. It was a, a really um, uh, concerted effort by the world, it seems, to not, to not let it be released. But we got there in the end. That's, that's amazing. Um, I'm so glad that it did eventually <laughs> get released and that, and that you still felt like releasing it. But they're listening to it. Why would, yeah. Despite all the holdups, why would you not want to share this album with the world? It's pretty like <laughs> something you can obviously be proud of. It's like it's a pretty amazing project, and it would have been oh, thank you worth the wait for all of us who didn't realize why it was um <laughs> why, why we were waiting for it. Is your first instrument actually? I thought it was um, saxophone. Is that right? Yes. Well, technically, my first instrument was recorder, but it was with always with the intention of learning saxophone. My my hands were too small for saxophone. Yeah, so we I, don't I, count. I guess I. Are you old enough do. to be when we all had to start with recorder? You don't count that we all had to start yeah. with recorder or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would think I would have been about six or seven and say, "Please, can I start learning saxophone?" And it just physically wasn't possible. My hands were too small. So, yeah, I still actually a lot of people seem to really hate recorder, but I still have a lot of love for recorder when played well. It's yeah, it's, definitely. Recorder has a problem that it's played badly very yeah. often, and so that's how people think of the sound. <laughs> but it's actually beautiful. It's a very beautiful kind of. It's like a folk flute almost. You can get yeah. amazing stuff out of it. Yeah, yeah I, love I think it's because most people associate it with those Saturday morning classes where they were made to learn yeah. recorder and thirty a room of thirty kids blasting the recorder and just you know squeaking exactly. it won't leave you with happy memories. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as someone who who taught 
recorder itinerantly for a few years at school to five and six-year-olds. I definitely understand that. Wow. It's a, it can be a, a trying sound to to deal with. But you did the hard yeah. Played I, was well. record, I was in recorder class, but I wasn't even a teacher. Oof. Um, <laughs> wow. So, and guitar, it sounds like, is your other, another main instrument. Yeah, gu guitar I started on pretty early. I think I was about nine or so. And, you know, it's just such a, a good instrument to pick up. And also at the time, there was just so much guitar music in popular music there was so much stuff to listen to and learn and kind of feel engaged in in, in music in that way um yeah I think it was it was recorder first and then kind of saxophone and guitar at a similar time and then I picked up drums and then clarinet a bit later and I always kind of tinkered around on piano because my sister plays piano beautifully but I didn't really do a concerted effort to learn it until recording this album but um yeah, yeah, and then, then just kind of, there are various other things that I hesitate to say I can play, but if I put in enough time, I can get a sound out, which is good enough that I'll record it. No, that's great. It must be great to have so many, so many instruments to draw on, even if there's just maybe three or four main ones. Yeah, so and I wanted to ask about, thinking back to the album, I wanted to ask about the last track, Feeling, and that the track mm. ends quite abruptly, cuts off mid-word and leaves you in mid-air, which is an interesting way to end. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering, did you save a full-length version somewhere just for yourself, and when did you decide that you'd shorten it for the album? No, so that, that actually is... I mean, I guess you could refer to the full length version as including the, you know, six or so extra seconds of, you know, tail of all of the recordings that comes after that. But no, I didn't, that is, I always intended to cut it off like that um, for a couple of reasons. One of them was, well, the inspiration for it was a track by Floating Points, um, who's a, a British electronic artist who I really love, called Peroration Six um, from his album Elania, which is, it's this really kind of slow build. It's almost like jazz electronica, this really slow build. And just near the end, it starts to get extremely frantic um, only about 20 seconds before the end. And it feels like it's building to this huge climax. And then in the middle of a uh, saxophone, like it sounds like the saxophone is starting to solo and it's, it's really exciting. And then it just cuts out completely. And a lot of people I have talked to about that track really hate that, but I, I really loved that aspect of that track because it feels like it leaves, it leaves everything after that point because so much is implied after that point. It leaves everything after that point up to the listener. The listener gets to decide what was gonna happen after that. And it means that at that point where it cuts out, at a point where you weren't expecting it, you're just suddenly left completely with your own emotions and perceptions of what was going to happen. And so you're just, you, Every time I listened to that track, I would just kind of sit there for about 20 seconds afterwards, imagining everything that could happen after that. And also just really sitting with the emotions that, that it had brought me to at that point, because there was no fade out. So there was no, there was no point where I just became comfortable with how I was sitting with it emotionally. And so it forces you to really confront what the song has done to you. And I really loved that about that track and really wanted to do that with feeling. Because I also thought that it fit quite well with the themes of feeling because feeling is the it's the final track on the album and it's um it's kind of this this moving towards positivity because a lot of the album is dealing with 
uh, chronic physical and mental illness and the way that that affects you and it, you know quite dark but feeling is one of the reasons that I still think of the album as quite positive is because it is about this feeling of recovery and of and discovering that you actually are experiencing emotions again and you actually are experiencing the world again but at that point when I was feeling that way I st it still felt very fragile um, and it still felt like something that I couldn't quite trust would last and I wanted it to, but I didn't know whether it would. And so it didn't feel right for me to end feeling in a way which was, you know, tied off with this, um, with this nice closed cadence that, you know, gave you a sense of conclusion in a positive way. But it also didn't make sense for me to cut it off in a way that brought it back to a darker place and, you know, imagined that that feeling would go away and that the darkness would come back because I didn't, I really didn't know what would happen at that point. I felt like I was just on the brink of something. And so I kind of felt like that song needed to end in a way that left it open and didn't, didn't dictate what would happen after that point. And either I or the listener could kind of just decide what happens after that point. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it really gets that across. I think for some people it is more just like a shock where they're like, I don't know what just happened, but, but that, that was my kind of uh, high intention for it. Who knows if it was achieved. Oh, a bit like the first few times I heard it, it caught me out. And at first I thought I'd bump my phone. Then I went back and checked. And I'm like, that's definitely very intentional. And I didn't get it straight away. And then I refreshed my memory by hearing that Jess Phil interview where you do mention that, wanting to finish it, mm. to leave it up to the listener, what happens next. I'm like, oh, now I get. So I think it helps. If people didn't get that already instinctively, it probably helps if they've heard one of these, <laughs> one of yeah, these, probably. one of these chats. I'll talk to you about it. Um, and I'd say <laughs> at this point that, if people out there are wanting to get a more in-depth look at what the album's about, just go to that Jess Foo Long player for the track by track. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinatingly detailed. And there, yeah, there are four seconds of silence at the end. So that's the bit where you're left wondering. But it good, you're right, it does leave yes. you flawed. It does leave you flawed and right, right. What was I what was I just listening to? And mm. when you say this album's documenting very dark time, but in a positive way, I think in that track definitely, but also in other parts of the album, I can hear the bits of light and hope coming through part of the journey I guess that you were on at the time absolutely yeah I, I really I feel that with a lot of the tracks I mean I think there are some which are just really down in the in the depths and don't really come out and I think I mean that's okay but I also felt during that whole period like depression and like an anxiety disorder and the way that it affects you and chronic physical illness as well it is you know, quite an all-encompassing force that does sort of take over your life. But that doesn't mean that, I think people think of it as kind of a monolith, people who haven't experienced it, this monolithic thing, which is just consistent and you're just sad and all the time. And that's not necessarily how it is. You do have these like little bits of light and, and sometimes, you know, bits of hope and feeling like things could get better. And, and that was something that I really wanted the album to encapsulate as well. And not necessarily in a way where that's being um, saying that it's like a, it was a positive experience, but just in a way where there were parts of it which I could I could still find some happiness sometimes, and even sometimes that relationship was quite complicated. Like with Cyclical, which is the third track on the album, I think there's that that song. I think in its arrangement um, is quite a. A, sounds like quite a positive one 
and a lot of the song is quite positive because it's about the, the experience of creating things and songwriting process and that kind of thing. But um, that that process itself was not a wholly positive thing either. And I that was something I wanted to try and capture with that song of, of these points of extreme ecstasy and joy that you get from the creative process and then and engaging with it during a time of depression and anxiety can make you feel really trapped. And I, yeah, I think that's, it's quite a hard balance to try and tread in a song. And I, I don't, I, I, I don't feel like I quite captured it like I wanted to, but that's, yeah, I, I always wanted to make sure that both sides of the experience were presented and throughout the album. Yeah. Otherwise it just didn't feel like a kind of real representation of what that's like. Pretty ambitious thing to be trying to capture all those nuances across. <laughs> but yeah, in the whole album, you definitely do get both. It's just like a real journey of emotions, I think. I'm sure I'm sure people would agree who've heard it. got some amazing music videos to go this album i was i wanted to talk about a few of them i was going to choose one but actually <laughs> there's there's three yeah, um sure. st- starting with the video for two minds and mm. this to me seems like a real visual representation of what it might be like to have anxiety or something like that maybe um has a real constant yes. sense of yeah rising panic <laughs> rising panic being chased <laughs> by your demons or these creepy figures kind of giving the weird stares and grins which is very effective in the video <laughs> and also there's a little choreographed dance sequence that you kind of slide into it made me want to ask yeah. have you had some dance training at all no no I haven't had any dance training um so that that choreographed dance sequence I kind of cheated a little bit because I basically worked with a choreographer a wonderful choreographer called Bella Wilson to to make that dance sequence happen and the reason that I look like a competent dancer in that section is because that kind, the, the dancing that we decided to choreograph is actually just basically the weird dances that I like to do in my room by myself. That's just kind of how I dance when I'm by myself. I kind of writhe around in this strange way, especially when I'm feeling anxious. It's a really good way of just getting it out. And so I basically went into a hall with Bella and she asked me to dance the way that I dance. And I kind of, you know, never having done this in front of someone else, it was quite freaky but especially in front of an amazing dance like her but I kind of did my strange dancing and she was like oh you know what we can work with that let's put this bit here and that bit here and that movement let's kind of exacerbate that movement in this way and so the choreography was kind of based around my own just physical impulses when dancing and so that that um that helped that helped me do that in um in a way that didn't kind of look completely incompetent but yeah I I I'm really happy with how that dance sequence came out and the whole video I mean, I, I think the director, Tom Augustine, did just an incredible job. He's, he's really amazing. He basically came to me with that idea fully formed. And it, it was quite interesting because he had this, he was telling me about this idea of his, the manifestation of his anxiety. He was trying to think of a physical, you know, real world manifestation of what anxiety would feel like. And he was saying it would be people touching at and, at, and pulling at his face 
that when he didn't want them to. That's what he felt like it felt like. And I, as when he said this, I kind of was floored and my jaw dropped open because just about a month earlier before this conversation, I had got some press shots with my friend Fraser Chatham and I'd wanted the press shots to encapsulate what anxiety felt like. And so I'd got some friends of mine to come and pull on my face while, while he took these press shots because that's what it felt like. And so when Tom said this to me, I was just like, oh my God, he, he, you know, he absolutely gets what my experience of anxiety is like. We obviously have had a very similar experience. And so it really felt like every decision that he made during that filmmaking process, I was just completely on board with because he just absolutely understood what that experience was like. And that is, that is what we were trying to do. We were trying to create basically a kind of a horror film, but, you know, obviously it's slightly tongue in cheek. It's, you know, slightly humorous, but um, uh, this kind of dark, slightly comedic horror film about what it feels like to have an anxiety attack in public and just be kind of chased by this, this strange force that feels like you because there's that doppelganger in the video that looks quite a lot like me, my friend Ox Lennon. Um, it feels like you, but just slightly wrong and, and, and antag antagonistic. Yeah, so that's, that's what that video was kind of trying to encapsulate. And I think Tom just did an incredible job. And, and also the costuming, which is Amanda uh, Robinson managed to figure out with the kind of the full red jumpsuits. She pulled that out of nowhere. We didn't have a very high budget and she somehow managed to get that going. So it all really just came together. And it, an incredible number of volunteers for that video as well. I think we had about 30 or so people you know, we were very upfront. Look, we're really sorry. We can't pay at all, but you get a nice pair of pants if you want. Um, and uh, and uh, quite a few people, a lot of people turned up and just were so keen to help the whole day. That was just a wonderful experience making that video. Yeah, it was, I thought, incredibly well put together. Like it is kind of very, very much like what you said, a darkly comedic horror film. And mm. the doppelganger in there is like, oh, <laughs> that was way too effective. Yeah having walked past you and the funny, at you. they're actually they're actually a good friend of mine um they we, we didn't find them for the video they're, they're a good friend of mine for for years who one of the reasons we started becoming friends is because people kept mistaking us for each other at various locations and so when this video came around we were like well they're the perfect person to be me it, yeah it was great amazing and next i wanted to touch on the video for fine and so this video like it's an amazing visual for, I guess, the bleak kind of grey flatline existence of non-feeling that people experience in the depths of depression. Was this at the silos in Silo Park? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So this was with a, a director, um, wonderful director from Wellington called Arti Papajorgiou, who um, I've worked with before because I used to play in a band called Lontalius, um, and we did some videos with him. And... He, I don't know how he pulled that out of his hat, the silos, because it, this was all very last minute, um, the, the video location. Um, and those silos, you have to book about a year in advance. They're really, really in demand. And then one day he just, I think it was about a week before the shoot, he just called me and he was like, look, uh, I, I know that we've been trying to you know, figure out a location for the video and we haven't really found one, but the, I've managed to figure out the silos. There's one day where it's available. It's next Saturday. I'm going to try and get everybody involved. Can we do this? And I was just, I was like, oh my God, yes, that's an incredible location. So yeah, we, um, that all came together kind of in incredibly quickly. And yeah, you're, you're quite right. That video is kind of trying to encapsulate that, that completely flat 
grey, unfeeling sensation um, of of a really bad bout of depression, and the feeling of just kind of every day blending into just a, a single day where nothing ever seems to happen and um, nothing ever seems to be felt. Yeah, so that feeling of kind of hanging upside down, which is what the whole video is, that feeling of pressure just kind of building in your head. It's it's about the the depression side of things, but it's also about um, one of the things that was really amplifying the mental illness at the time was for a number of years, I had chronic sinusitis during this period. I had to have about four operations to get rid of it. And one of the things that you get with chronic sinusitis is intense pressure pain in your head. And so it, it does kind of feel like your head is sort of exploding. And that combined with already that sensation of kind of flatness and just general overwhelmedness that depression comes with, that feeling of hanging upside down really encapsulated that. And it was actually an idea that my friend Ali Burns had come up with a wee while ago, um, a wee while before that for another video, but that we never were quite able to make. But it just that in, in the in the context of the silos, I just, I'm so happy with how that video turned out. And Artie did a beautiful job, I think. Yeah, that was um, a very recognizable location for me just because I've been to a few events there and stuff, but also perfect because it's all gray concrete as well and very bleak. And I like how they set up a bedroom in there. Yeah. And it's kind of circular as well. So, you know, the, the, the video follows it around the edge in this kind of ring and you come back to where you come back to. And although there is some editing in there to make it look like I am in the same place in multiple places, sorry, same multiple places at the same time, um, the, the, it does actually follow the actual path of the inside of the silos, um, which is that, that kind of square. So it does feel like this loop. It was, yeah, it was really was, the location was just so complimentary for that idea. It was really perfect. Just a brief side note though, hearing about the, he had to have operations for the sinus, sinusitis thing. I heard mm. at the end of the Jess Fu interview, you were talking about feel, the track feeling, that it was like when you had that all fixed up and you could smell properly for the first time. That must have, that <laughs> yes. must have been incredible. But I was like, wow, what, yeah. took you so, what took you so long? I mean, this is like, this is definitely a well, side note to the interview. It, <laughs> much like the release of the album it wasn't for lack of trying like like I say there were four four operations so I started getting chronic sinusitis when I was about 15 or 16 and yeah my sense of smell basically just left which means that you really don't taste much either and it makes you kind of feel like your face is sort of filled with cotton wool or something it feels like there's a layer of something between you and the world and I had a, an initial operation which just didn't work and then I had another operation a couple of years later which seemed to work but then my body for some reason grew back and made it even worse and then I had another operation which kind of worked but didn't fully work and it, it, it got worse again and then I finally had this final operation which actually fixed it up I think over it was over the course of maybe like six years all of those operations before it actually got figured out and yeah that feeling I still remember it was actually this was actually after the operation which I thought had worked and then it got worse again so but uh, I remember going for a walk through uh, the town belt because I lived very near the town belt in Wellington, going for a walk through the town belt and the air in Wellington in the winter is just so cold. And I remember feeling that air coming into my nose and actually, you know, entering my sinuses, unlike it ever could before and feeling it kind of cool down my face and smelling the pine needles and just thinking like, oh my God, this is, I'm able to engage with the world in a way that I have, have not been able to for years. And it might seem like quite a small thing being able to smell things like pine needles and that kind of thing when you go for a walk. But 
really having the absence of that for so many years, I just realized how how important a part of engaging with the world smell is. You know, like I, I didn't really have smell memories at all for years, which is something that so many people talk about being a significant thing because there was just no smell anywhere for me. So I, yeah, that's that moment is what inspired starting writing feeling. Um, it just, just feeling like I was at that. And it also coincided with a point where I was starting to feel better on the mental health front as well. I'd reached out for some help and had made some changes to my life. And so it just really felt like I was starting to, engage with the world in a real way again for the first time in years oh, definitely it sounds like it would be kind of like an awakening or having an epiphany because yeah. not having a sense of smell which is actually most of your sense of taste would just make everything so bland it would just be quite depressing yeah so um, I used to use so much salt my, my flatmates used to get kind of annoyed at me because I would use a huge amount of salt on every meal because I just needed to taste something or if I made a curry I'd use like twice as much curry powder as you were meant to because I just needed to taste it and I don't think, I don't know, they seemed to enjoy it in, to some degree, but it was just all the food I made was intensely flavorful, like way too flavorful. So I'm sorry to my flatmates during that time. <laughs> That's amazing. I guess I just got used to it, but for mostly they'll be like, oh, that, that, that <laughs> food, don't, don't go, yeah. don't try and eat too much of it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I can't imagine trying to live like that as your normal for a number of years, but I guess if, that's, if yeah. it, it's not an easy fix for obviously both sounds of it. Mm. Back to the music video. So, um, yeah, no, I love most recent. I think I might even leave that in. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does relate to the to music as well. recent music video which came out in September this year for Periphescence mm. is a visual mm. work by Ben Thank. and so for those mm. who haven't seen it it's a series of really intriguing images of two figures some naked some clothed in various indoor and outdoor settings and there's like small subtle movements or some completely still always with their faces turned away or hidden and I thought it was it's definitely a work of art beautifully put together complements the textures and the moods of the song and I looked up Ben Zank, found out he's an, he's an American photographer based in New York. I was wondering how you ended up yes. working with Ben. Yeah, so I, oh, I'm so glad with how that video turned out. Um, but Ben actually 
uh, I can't remember whether I reached out to him or he reached out to me, but it was, it was a few years ago. He followed me on Instagram and he has a huge following on Instagram. And so I kind of went and I, I looked at his photos and was just stunned by them. He does really incredible surrealist photo work, like quite amazing. I would really recommend looking at it. And I, I think I might've contacted him after he followed me. I basically just reached out and was like, well, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to my music and that's why you've followed me, but I just, I just want you to know that your photos are incredible. And, you know, I've, I've just discovered them and they're really amazing. And he, it turns out, had lived in New Zealand for a little while, maybe five or six years ago. And someone that he had lived with had shown him my music and he'd, he'd been listening to it for a long time. And Ego Spect was one of his favorite albums and he'd been really enjoying it. And so he basically responded to that saying, oh, I'm so glad you like my photos. I love your music. We should work together. And I was extremely stoked with this. You know, I just discovered this new photographer who had incredible work that I was really amazed by. And suddenly he wanted to work with me. And so we started talking about working together quite a while ago. But, you know, as, as it goes with album releases and with funding and that kind of thing, things take a while. And so um, it wasn't until this year that we actually kind of made it happen. But the, the, the concept of the video was basically that we wanted to have a series of uh, surrealist kind of moving photographs, basically, was how we were thinking of, which played into the idea of the song. Of, so the song is a, a, a series of vignettes, more or less, describing parts of the relationship, uh, parts of this wonderful relationship I was in, where I was either... In, in close physical proximity or far away and the way that that made me feel. And, and the song is called Periphescence, which is from a, it's from a book, it's a made up word from a book called Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Uh, that means the, uh, that kind of shimmering feeling that you get on your skin when you're in the proximity of someone that you love. And so the song is about the, the presence and absence of that feeling uh, and you know craving it and, and getting it and that kind of thing. And so we wanted each of the, the moving photos to really encapsulate that feeling of periphescence or the lack thereof. And so we just, we, Ben took me through a number of the places in New York and around New York that he likes to shoot at and places that he was thinking of that it might uh, make sense to have the setting in. And he told me about these models that he often works with, Paul Zivkovich and Austin Goodwin, who are the two models in the video. And they're actually husband, they're, they're husbands. And so it's a... Um, you know, very real love that's being shown in the video. And um, they basically just went, went out among New York one day and, and at all of these locations just sort of were just with each other in a, a loving way in many of these places. Um, and I just think that they, I mean, the combination of the incredible cinematography by Ben and the really very heartfelt, very subtle, but very heartfelt performances by, by Austin and Paul, I really... I just think that it really, really encapsulated the feeling of each of the verses. I'm just so happy with how that turned out. And I also love the, I don't know if I've really seen many people do what Ben did with that video of the, they are basically photographs and that they're these beautifully composed and more or less static images. But in every single one, he makes sure that there is some just small aspect of movement that just adds to the surrealism and the feeling of, 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 um, kind of liveness of, of the photograph that I, I think brings so much to the video. Yeah, I, I was really stunned with the work that Ben did on that video. That's kind of, that's amazing how that happened then. But yeah, I, went, I didn't know how to describe it, so I'd said images, but yeah, they are like moving photos. 
Because one of them, mm. you, you think there's no movement in it when there's two naked figures like crouched in some kind of leafy part of a park, but then there's a tiny bit of wind moving the leaves and you're like, oh yes. yeah, it's yes. not a still. I love that part. That's, yeah, yeah that's very that subtle. But yeah, just all together an amazing yeah. video. Amazing he was just following you on Instagram. It wasn't like something good planned. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I... It, Instagram, you know, has has its problems, but as a place for connecting with other creative people, it really that that really for me was quite a, an amazing experience. Like I, w- I wouldn't have ever connected with this guy, this wonderful guy, if it, if it wasn't for that. Um, so yeah, that yeah, once again, kind of this strange serendipitous thing that happened that resulted in this in this video that I'm very stoked with. in this series is to pick an album from our library collection that inspired them in some way. You chose Joanna Newsom's album Wise, or is it Ease? Can you tell me why you chose this album? Yeah, so it's uh, Joanna Newsom's Ease. I, I, I always used to say Wise as well, but named after a myth, which I think she actually only read after she'd finished the album, but it just resonated with her. It's named after this myth about a city called Ease on, I think it's the coast of like Brittany or something like that which was right on the water and the sea was held back by these huge kind of dike walls. And it was ruled over by this pious king um, who had a wayward daughter who was kind of a sorcerer and, uh, you know, philandered with men and all this kind of, you know, things that a pious king would probably not be stoked with. And one day at the behest of a lover of hers, she opens the dike gates to let him in and in so doing destroys the city with all of the water comes flushing in. And the king uh, has to escape with his daughter and they're the only ones that survive, but the sea keeps chasing them. And then I think, I think it's like, I think it's God or some kind of portentous voice from above tells him that the only way he, the sea will recede is if the daughter is given to the water. And so he either, depending on interpretations of the myth, he either throws her into the water or she falls into the water and it recedes. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I don't know exactly the ways in which she felt that that resonated with themes of her life, because obviously that's quite a fantastical story. But um, the album as a whole is very fantastical. It's, I think I would say it's my favorite album of all time, which is why I chose it for, for this. And I think it, it really has influenced me in a lot of ways, but it's, it's funny with this album because I don't think I, I don't think it's influenced me directly in a way where you would actually hear that many sonic parallels, not because I wouldn't like it to, but because I don't, I really just don't think I possess the skills to really enact any of the incredible, uh, incredible things that she has enacted with this album. It's an album, like many of the albums that I find to be my favorite albums, it's an album which I really have no understanding 
of how a person can create it. It is it, the, the lyrics. It's a 50 minute album, five songs. And each of the songs, one of the songs is 17 minutes long. Each of the songs have these incredibly long winding lyrics, which are extremely visual. And I think at a first listen, it almost sounds like she's just describing scenes and images that aren't necessarily that connected, except for the second song, Monkey and Bear, which is a really a real story. But as you get deeper into these lyrics, and I, um, I, I actually know all of the lyrics off by heart. I sing this album to myself sometimes. So I've gone pretty deep into the lyrics. Um, as you get deeper into the lyrics, you realize that she is just incredible at creating quite actually really coherent and beautiful and incredibly emotive stories out of these images, these beautifully described images. And so for me, this album combines a couple of things that I am really inspired by lyrically. Uh, one which I think I can achieve and one which I absolutely can't. One is the a complete honesty and a, and a really funneling your your own trials and your own pain and your own emotions into your music in a completely unfettered and, and honest way, which is what she really, really does. All of the songs are about quite heartbreaking things that happened to her over this period of time. And they really, no album can more consistently make me cry. But the part that I can't do is she also somehow manages to wrap this in the most incredible and, and I don't even know how to describe it, magical lyrical style like the the lyrics that she writes are just they take you on an incredible incredible journey and I strive for that but I don't think I would have ever gotten close enough that anyone <laughs> anyone would draw a sonic parallel so I think it's had a really a real effect on me in that way and it's also I think had a real effect on me um on a from a musical point of view she's so she's a harpist I, I don't play the harp. I wish I played the harp. She's a harpist and there's a lot of orchestral arrangements on this album as well. And she's an extremely skilled harpist who is very, very interested in playing with polyrhythms and also with polymeter. So I love rhythmic experimentation and polyrhythms. And she does a lot of that, a lot of syncopation, which is, is something that I love to play with. But she also does a lot of something which I've only really recently started to work with called polymeter which is where you have multiple time signatures coinciding or coexisting within the same song, which is possible on the harp because you have, you know, it's played with two independent hands, much like with the, I've been trying to learn the piano more recently so I can do this kind of thing. And there's a couple of different ways of doing that that she does on the album, which always sounds so incredible and they add such a, a lush and textural uh, feeling to it where you can have the more kind of syncopated vibe where covering covering one phrase, you might have a, um, a, a part that sounds like it, that is in 4-4 four, four, and covering that same amount of time, you have a part that sounds like it's in 5-4. And so it ends up with this kind of syncopated interacting rhythm. But there's another way that she does it, which is really quite incredible, which I've started wanting to write with recently, where the, the beats of the two parts will sync up with each other, but the phrases will be of different lengths because they're different time signatures. So you might have a 5-4 phrase and a seven, eight phrase played simultaneously. And it means that they come in and out of sync with each other in this way that I can only really think of as cascading. And you get, you get the most incredible interaction of rhythms in this way. And so that's something that's really fascinated me about this album, it's all through it. And she has the amazing ability to do this in a way that if you're not listening for it, you wouldn't really notice. It just feels like a, a beautiful textural bed. 
Um, so it never feels put on or kind of, you know, wanky, but, but as soon as you start listening for it, there are just so many hidden depths to this album. So that's, that's another thing that's really inspired me about it. It's a beautiful, I, I recommend everybody in the world should listen to this album. I mean, a lot of people I think will hate it. She seems quite polarizing, like quite a divisive style, but I, if you love it, you will absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I started having a little re-listen just in the past few days to um, remind me of it. I hadn't listened all the way through for a while. Yeah, definitely polarizing. But um, straight away, uh, the words I think of to describe the general sounds like very, very magical, ethereal, mm. otherworldly. And the similarities <laughs> I'd, I'd hear are like the classical music influence because you're classically trained on um, saxophone, right? Um, yes, yeah. There's a little bit of that um, in common lush layers with hers are harp and strings but yeah she's polarizing probably she's got a very distinctive voice the sound of her voice is she does you're like yeah you're gonna like it or not like it but that that com really complex um was it polymeter that you were just describing i didn't know i didn't know that the name for that i think i think i've heard music that's got that in it and you're right you don't really know what it is it just sounds like an amazing cascade of of um like how how they're doing that yeah and i think the wonderful thing with the way that she does it at least to me, is that it never, it never really does feel like showing off. It feels like the song really demands it, and it, it um, and it adds so much, yeah. And to be able to do that while also, because she actually, these are all, all of the songs that are recorded, she recorded with the harp while singing, and she does that live as well. So that the level to which she has to be able to split her brain in order to be able to do these polymeter harp parts while doing these really quite rhythmically complex vocal parts as well, it's she she is a truly stunning musician i it's yeah. inspirational that's great yeah really really skilled and total polymath by the sounds of it mm. no i mean i'm not i'm a i'm a fan i'm not enough to know mm. all the words i'm not a that's a particular level of, of fanery that i think wow. so i'm not put off by the to. distinctive kind of more oh, i don't want to describe her voice in a negative way but yeah the sound i'm not put off by the the voice that's kind of slightly more higher pitched and very kind of yes. got its own piece and qualities. It's just very her. It's a character, it's character voice. It's funny with her voice because I think it is very hard to describe it to someone without making it sound like you hate it. <laughs> Even though like all of the ways that I would describe it, like slightly screechy, slightly, you know, you know, very high pitched and warbly. And it makes it sound like I don't like it, but I, I absolutely love it. It's, yeah, I, I think her voice is incredible. But yeah, not definitely not for everyone. From the top of the flight Of the wide, white stairs Through the rest of my life Do you wait for me there? There's a bell in there's the wide, white roar Drop a bell down the stairs Hear it fall forevermore Hear it fall forevermore
blotted out in the sea. In these interviews, I talk about what's, what's it like to be an artist living in these COVID times, how it might have affected your work. Did you find you were doing more creative and musical stuff in lockdown or less? And if you had any, like, favourite gig memories just before the August lockdown or things like that, yeah. anything in there that, that, that takes your fancy. It's been, it's been an interesting experience with lockdown. I think it, uh, it hasn't affected me quite as much as I think it has affected a lot of other artists because I wasn't playing live shows anyway um, because of the family situation with my dad and just the stresses of that and the uncertainty of that. It hasn't really been the right time for a while to, um, to get a, a live set together and to play shows. So I didn't really lose that aspect so much. I left the aspect, lost the aspect of going to shows, which I miss very much. Um, but in terms of the productivity during lockdown, I think that's really come in um, kind of peaks and troughs for me because, you know, there are points where I think is, you know, especially in the last few weeks or so where that locked in feeling results in you getting this sort of manic creative energy where you do just want to create and you do a lot of writing and it becomes kind of compulsive. But then also in order to be able to write, I, I find this at least, in order to be able to write really good, wonderful music, you do need to be sort of living life as well so that life can inform it and so that lack of that and lack of being able to see people and, and lack of being able to go out and I think for a long time especially at the start of this lockdown really um, affected my ability to write and definitely during the lockdown last year I don't think I got much writing done at all and I think that's I think there's a lot of pressure or kind of in, in interpreted pressure on artists for lockdown to be a very productive time because it's like oh you know you've you've been wanting all of this time to write for so long now you've finally got it surely you've been making a whole lot of stuff but I think that's definitely not necessarily how it always manifests because it's also completely valid and important for some artists to just take this time as a time to do nothing at all and really just recuperate and deal with you know whatever mental garbage is going on <laughs> as a result of lockdown so I think I've had phases of both of those. In terms of gig memories, I think that my last gig before the lockdown, because I've been, for a while, I've been quite cautious during COVID about going to gigs because my dad is immunocompromised. So I haven't been going to too many. But I think the last gig before the August lockdown that I went to was the memorial gig for um, my friend Ruben um, Milk, who, who plays as, as Milk. Um, and it was memorial and album release gig. And that was an absolutely amazing and very heartbreaking experience. It was a, a, a number of bands um, of Ruben's friends. I don't know if you know of people who might listen to this would know, but Ruben is an amazing musician who, who passed away at the end of last year. And he'd completed this album before he passed away. And it was a whole lot of his friends' bands playing songs from the album um, playing their music but also songs from the album in their sets and it was just amazing Ruben had such a 
powerful and um, uh, unifying effect on the music community. I think he was just the center of so many circles of influence that were happening in the New Zealand music scene. And it was really wonderful and touching to see all of those people who had been affected by him there, either playing the music or just experiencing it and um, kind of grieving together. And I think that that also, for me, that being the last gig before lockdown, really encapsulated for me what, what lockdown has meant we are all missing. Um, because, you know, I think that to a lesser, obviously that, that gig was a particular level of emotional contact and emotional community because of the context. But I think to a lesser degree with so many gigs, that is what we're getting. We're getting that sense of community and sense of, um, of love and, and emotional connection with people through music. And that's such a crucial part of so many, so many people's lives. I think for a lot of people on the scene, it's almost like church or something, you know, it's the place where you go where you're definitely going to see all of your people and you're going to be experiencing something wonderful together. And so not having that and not potentially not being able to have that in quite the same way for quite a long time yet, it has been very, very hard, I think, for the artistic community and for a lot of people who rely on that in order to kind of be okay. So, I mean... I am not anti-lockdown at all. I'm, I'm very in favor of all of it. And I think it was absolutely necessary, but that I think the loss of that for the music scene has been, has been very, very difficult for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where we can safely engage in the scene in that kind of way. Again, I think a lot of us are really, really craving it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, gigs about to open up on a small level, traffic light red level this weekend, but there'll be... <laughs> I'm sure people will be really glad to go, but it'll be like limited numbers and all the, you know. Yeah, and a lot of nervousness and anxiety around it, I think, possibly. I think people will still go, though. And to be honest, yeah, I'm still sure. on the fence of whether I'll go <laughs> this weekend, but I'm definitely tempted. <laughs> but yeah, oh, that, that sounds like an amazing last gig memory. Mm. But um, yeah, so, mm. many, so many gigs I went to where he was involved in whatever I was watching, whichever many of yeah. his projects. I don't think I'll try and name them all. But yeah, there's many. <laughs> there's dozens and dozens of projects. At his, at his funeral, um, uh, a few of us from his various projects played a couple of things, but there was also a, uh, on the, um, uh, what's it called, the program on the back, there was a list of maybe about 10% of the projects he'd been in and there were about 20 of them <laughs> just on the back and there are so many more he was just incredibly incredibly prolific it's yeah he, he was a pretty amazing amazing man if anybody hasn't listened to that album and his previous albums as milk and all of his stuff as totems do yourself a favor and go and listen to it because his his entire body of work is just is really brilliant and genre spanning he there's so many things that you can find in there for whatever you like listening to. Yeah, that's true. Many genres. Oh, what a great, great legacy. Um, mm. Yeah. And to, to round off the interview, I wondered if, I, if you had, like, what were your future plans for Sheepdog and Wolf? Mm. More, more writing, recording music videos, or, or dare I say it, more gigs once we're able to, once you're able to? <laughs> I, I definitely have the intention in my brain to get a live set together and start playing gigs again. I think that there are 
like there have been for many years, there are a lot of kind of mitigating factors that make that more difficult than it otherwise would be right now. But I would, I would absolutely love to be playing live again. I have a complicated relationship with playing live. I love it, but I also have debilitating stage fright. Uh, so so I'll, I'll enjoy it and hate it whenever it comes around. But um, in terms of recording and that kind of thing, I, I don't think I can ever really see a time in my life where I'm not recording, continuing to record towards Sheep, Dog and Wolf because it's, it's basically, it's my musical journal, really. Um, it's just what I love to do and what I kind of need to do in order to help me get through a lot of things. It helps me figure things out. So I have been doing a lot of writing for, um, for another Sheepdog Wolf album. So I'm, I'm hoping that that means there is less than seven years between this, <laughs> the, this album and the next one, like there was with, with Ego Specked and Two Minds. Um, should be hopefully sooner than that. I won't make any promises because I didn't think it would be seven years last time. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, work I will, I'm working on new stuff and will continue to work on new stuff. And I also will definitely, when that comes around, be making more music videos because I... I love that side of thing. It's such a wonderful way to collaborate with someone, um, to collaborate with a kind of a visual artist who can make that sort of thing and, and, and bring it into another, you know, artistic medium in that way. I love doing that. So I will definitely be continuing to do that, especially if New Zealand on air feels like helping more. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear mm -hmm. there'll be another album at some point and we'll, we'll look forward yes. to it. Thanks so much for talking to me today, Daniel. Thank yeah, you for great. Me. Yeah, great chat all around, and I look forward to hearing more from you soon. Yes, yes, hopefully, hopefully soon is the operative word. <laughs> I hope so. You've been listening to an interview with Daniel McBride from Sheep, Dog and Wolf. All tracks used were taken from his album Two Minds, released on Aphrodite in April 2021. You also heard a few excerpts from his chosen album Ease by Joanna Newsom. To hear more podcasts, check out the Auckland Library SoundCloud page and subscribe.